Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Lionel Bacon, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. You are the center of the universe for the next hour or so. Appreciate you driving like an hour and a half from uh, <laughs> southwest Chesterfield tonight. Really do, but you're, you're in... Uh, some of us call Paul's basement studio, so I appreciate you coming out and uh, really looking forward to talking to you. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, and you, let's talk about that. Are you going to start a podcast, you think? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've thought that far through it, but it was, it was thrown out there last week, and I actually kind of sat down and started thinking, that, you know, it would be fun. It'd be a lot of fun, I think, to do it. It's, kind of, it, it's a ton of fun, man. Yeah. Choosing a lane and topics and yeah. various guests. And yes. Do it. Probably and a lot of fun. Kevin would be on your podcast. And, yeah, I'm sure that'd be interesting. You love talking to people. Right. So, I mean, come yeah. on. And you've got a great personality. You would be a hit on, on a podcast. Yeah, I'm going to give it some thought. We can hook you up with all the stuff you need to do it. Okay. You, you got space in your house to do it? Yeah. All right. It's just a matter of buying the equipment and getting it going. Interesting. Yeah, we'll talk more about it. Okay, cool. All right, so you did not grow up here in Richmond. Where did you grow up, Lionel? Grew up in Louisville, Kentucky on uh, 13th and Muhammad Ali Boulevard. Mm. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> when was Muhammad Ali Boulevard named? Do you remember? Well, it was named uh, Walnut Street mm. until the name was switched over. But my uh, my one of my older brothers was friends with Muhammad Ali. Oh, and Muhammad cool. Ali's dad dated a lady that lived in the building next to us. Um, and every year, he his dad would have the newest white Cadillac. Mm. So that so that those are my memories of seeing Muhammad Ali as a kid. Wow, yeah, that's super cool. Oh yeah, that's He's a legend. And he was Just around like, a lot back in the day. Yeah, he was he was around quite a bit. One of my older brothers was a pretty uh, prominent athlete in his own right. He took the University of Louisville to their first Final Four in 72 and then got drafted by Golden State fifth mm. round so he was a pretty big name in the city himself and so he and Ali were friends and oh nice oh, wow. used to see him yeah. Ali was a little bit older than him yeah a little yeah. bit well I'm I'm the youngest of 12 and my mom had me when she was 50 what so you have to so if my, my brothers are old enough to be my uncles and I have a brother that could be my grandfather can you name all your siblings <laughs> absolutely in order alright let's do it all right, it goes boy, girl, boy, girl from top to bottom. Wow. Starts with oh, wow. boy, ends with a boy. Sid's, Sid is the oldest. Okay. Um, now, all, all of my siblings aren't still with us right. because of that age gap. But um, Sid is the oldest, and then there's a girl, Azalee. Um, then there was a boy, Thatchet. And then there's a girl, Clara. Um, then there's a boy, Lewis. And then there's a girl, Rose. Um, then there's a boy, Clint, and then there's a girl, um, Anne, then there's a boy, Bill, and then there's a girl, Heidi, and then me at, at, at the 12th spot. Robert, Rob, it. Rob, did you get all that down? I did. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. I only have one sibling. I forget her name after that. I got you, got you, got you. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot going on. So did you feel like you were being raised by a lot of people? No. Again, because the age range was so wide. Um, you know, I tell people I grew up youngest of 12, but at any given time in our apartment, there were, you know, it was my mom, my sister, myself, and maybe one or two because they were, you know, um, 
like just out of high school and not really college, but working and had their own places and stuff. So it wasn't a packed house youngest of 12, but, you know, still 11 siblings. You still keep in contact with yep. yep. all of them? All those that, uh, that are still around, I try to make visits to Louisville every now and then. You know, it's, it's harder now, but I, I do it by taking, you know, I'll take a trip by myself, like a weekend trip versus right. loading the whole family up and making that nine hour drive. I'll <laughs> pop in and out. And then unfortunately funerals. Yeah. yeah. How do you go there? How do you travel? Drive. There? 64. So I jump on 64 here in Richmond and never switch lanes. I get off at my, my housing project. And so you're going uh, through Charleston, West Virginia, yeah, Huntington, yeah, Ashland, yeah. Kentucky, Lexington, and then Louisville. Is, is the uh, grass actually blue in that part of Kentucky? Um, it's not blue, blue, but it's got, it's got kind of a bluish tint to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How often do you go back? Um, I try to get back a couple times a year, but with funerals, it ends up three, four times a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said you grew up in a project. Yeah, I grew up in the housing projects. It was, uh, it's called Beecher Terrace, and they did a show on it on, uh, called uh, Prison Nation, mm. and 85% of the residents that I grew up with in my neighborhood had a prison record, had or have. They tore it down now, so that they just recently, within the last year, I, my building went down. So the housing projects I lived in went from 9th to 13th and they started at 9th with the teardown and then ended on 13th so my building was literally the last one and my my neighborhood sat 10 blocks from downtown Louisville Kentucky I mean mm. prominent 4th Street Avenue and uh, where the University of Louisville plays the Muhammad Ali Center the Louisville Slugger Museum so you have prominent downtown but you've got this kind of eyesore housing projects that is literally right at right when you get off the exit wow so i would get off the exit into my projects mm. and i think it was just uh, a combination of the violence it being old and decrepit and you know aging um and then the city just wanting to do something else and move those people out so so how do you because i know looking back on a childhood is different than when you were in it mm -hmm. how do you look back on your childhood do you look back on it hey i was a happy kid Things were this way, that way, great, not. How, how do you look back on it? Yeah, I, I look back on it, man, and I tell you, I wouldn't, there's there is nothing I would change. And, you know, my mom, you know, was incredible. And there were there were a lot of guys. You know, you figure, you know, if it's, if it's 9th to 13th, that's a four-block radius. But it's also three blocks wide, so it's a mile around my housing projects. Mm. And there's probably 70 buildings with 16 apartments in each building. Mm. So, you you know, on any given month, you could have 200 kids and, you know, 150 boys between the ages of 10 and 16. You know, so there you can always walk outside and get a football game or a basketball game. But, you know, I, I would not change a thing. I would not change a thing. My mom was just so amazing. Um there were a lot of guys in my neighborhood that were better than I was at basketball or as good and, you know, division one talent. But, you know, the three things I had, number one, um, I had an amazing mom who just, she had rules, you know, um, and that's how she got 12 kids through an environment that has an 85% prison rate with not one going to prison. That's amazing. That's awesome. Know, so, and without a, without a husband, yeah. you know, my dad was killed before I was four, you know, Oh. He was murdered, so I, I'm 52 with th with three sons. 
under nine, and I've never even seen a picture of my dad. Wow. Never even seen a picture. Um, but, you know, the first thing I had was an incredible mom. The second thing I had was, you know, God just kind of guided my steps. You know, every time I was at a fork in the road in my life, I just kind of fell into the right way, and it was just kind of God guiding me. And then the third thing I had was the ability to play basketball. You know, I had that was my tool to pay for undergraduate school, graduate school. It opened all these doors up. Um, you know, there were other guys in my neighborhood that were talented, but they just didn't have those three things, and so yeah. they struggled. They didn't have maybe a strong a parent as your mom, and maybe made some uh, bad decisions at some of those four. Yeah, yeah. I tell people my, you know, in my neighborhood, my my problem wasn't that I didn't have role models; it was that my role models didn't have role models. Yeah. So they couldn't be a role model to me. Yeah. Yeah. So in uh, growing up, was were academics an important part of uh, your childhood? Uh. No, only because, uh, you know, in that environment, it was, I just, you just kind of needed to go to school. You had to go to school. Nobody, um, you know, we weren't pumped about going to school. But then as you get older and sports be, gets bigger, you understand that the two have to coexist and you can't have one without the other. So you, by default, have to focus on the other. Um, but, I, you know, I, I did well in school. I, I loved math. You know, up until they started mixing shapes and letters in and X squared. And Man, I say that all the time. <laughs> I, I was so it. good at math until they put X's and yeah. Y's. I'm like, what, what is this? Wait a minute, you were good through seventh grade. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> when, it, when it went, you know, when it took that turn, you know, then, then I just fell in love with English and history. Mm. Um, but my blessing, you know, another blessing I had was even though I lived in that environment, I didn't go to school in that environment. And it was alphabetical by last name and the street you lived on that sent me to Ballard High School and, and St. Matthew's Elementary School and Westport Elementary School. I never went to school in my neighborhood. Mm. So by the time I got to high school, I was around all these kids, predominantly white, who were talking about college and SAT and all that stuff. So that, you know, and then I knew I needed that to play college ball. So it worked out great. And if you had happened to be in a different building in, the, in your project. Yeah, if I... If I would have gone to Central High School, which was which, so so, there's two housing projects that that sit right next to each other. There's Beecher Terrace, which was mine that was torn down, and then there's Muhammad Ali Boulevard, and then right across the street there's Village West projects. And most of those kids went to Central High School, mm. but some of the kids in Beecher Terrace went to Central too. And by luck, I did not go to Central. I went to Ballard, and it it was everything. Wow, and that's why you love your last name. That's why I love my last name. It, yeah, it if your last name my, was Zachariah or something. Who knows? It would have been. It was. It would have been just totally different. It is a cool last name, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody loves bacon. <laughs> Who doesn't love bacon? Yeah, I mean, you know, v- vegans and vegetarians, maybe. But, right. Yeah. They love it. They just don't eat. <laughs> they still love <laughs> it. That's right. That's a great point. Right. All right. So Ballard High School. Uh, were you a big man at school? Yeah, and that's tough because you know Ballard's is a factory. Ballard's a basketball factory, so um, it was unheard of for freshmen to make varsity. But my freshman year, myself and another guy mm. played uh, varsity, and I think we were thirty-three and two my freshman year, and then mm. my sophomore year we were thirty-two and four. I mean, just did you start your freshman year? My freshman and so- my freshman year, I did not. My sophomore year, I got playing time, but then my junior and senior year was kind of my my show was Allen Houston on one of these teams Allen Houston was there my senior year so as a senior you know it goes from 
unheard of to make varsity as a freshman to fast forward. I'm a senior starting with a freshman, mm. but that freshman we knew was going to be really good. Cause he, yeah, he, he definitely was really, really good. He was, and he was really good. So he, he was about six, two as a freshman and weighed literally no, about 120, 130, wow. just super thin. But he had an NBA jump shot as a ninth grader. As a ninth grader. Yeah, every time I watched him play for the Knicks, if he was going up, I knew I knew it had like beautiful. a 70% chance of going in. Yeah, his, his – probably until this day, and I've seen a lot of guys play, top three prettiest jump shots I've seen, period. Yeah, who, are other, who are the other two other than me? Um, I would say you would be a close second probably in them. I'd probably rate um, Rex Chapman as – Really? Yeah. I'd probably rate Rex pretty high. Did you ever play with, against Rex? Rex and I are friends now. Um, in high school, we were we were kind of pitted against each other. You know, I was Louisville, Kentucky. He was Apollo, mm-hmm. which was out in Lexington. And so we were two of the better players. He was Mr. Basketball and should have been. Um, but we – so we played against each other my senior year, and Allen Houston missed that game because he was sick. And he was a starter, so we're missing our starting two guard. Um, we lost by two – I had 31 and Rex had 45. Wait a minute, you got 31 from the point? Yeah. And mm. and we played in front of about 16,000. Wow. <laughs> Kentucky's crazy for basketball. And then when Rex and I partnered up, so so every year the best players from Kentucky, the best seniors from Kentucky play the best seniors from Indiana. And so 1986, which was the year I played, was the last year that Ken, that Louis, Kentucky swept Indiana. But we had a loaded squad. We had a we had a seven two guy Felton Spencer that played mm. at the University of Louisville. Yep. We had a six eight Reggie Hanson that played at Kentucky with uh, with Rex. I mean, we were, we were we we could have knocked off some college teams with that high school team. Well, I bet. Yeah. Anybody on the Indiana side that that we would know? Yeah, they had a they had a point guard who was supposed to be uh, a bunch, and his name was Tion McCoy, and he went to Maryland. And this would have been back in the '80s, but he didn't. Um, you know, he had a good good career there, but yeah, we 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 put it to Indiana pretty. I mean, it wasn't close. And then every year since then, I mean, think about that. That's thirty five, thirty six mm-hmm. years ago, and since then, it's either been one to one or Indiana has won. Mm. We were the last team to sweep Indiana. That's crazy. Wow. It, and you think about all the kids who have come out of out of Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Yeah. So. What made Ballard a uh, factory? Well, it was out in the – so it would be equivalent to um, – take James River High School. Take James River High School. Yeah. But you've got Gilpin Court funneling athletes to James, to yeah. James yeah, River yeah. High School. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the best of both worlds. You've got fundamental kids, but you've got kids that are tough too. Right. And so we – That's a good mix. We just, we just always won. We've – Never had a rebuilding year. We don't do that. Mm. <laughs> you go go back and see games from time to time. Um, I haven't. I haven't back been back to a Ballard game in a long time. The last time, um, I played on that floor was with Allen Houston. We had a reunion game, and the, but this was a long time ago, and we lit it up. I mean, it was, you know, one thirty-five to, and it was the best players from the '90s against the best players from the '80s. Mm. And so we had a, I mean, we had a, we had a lot of fun. How, so. how many points did you average your senior year? High school or college? High school. 
uh, 21, 22, something like that. As a, as a point guard? Mm-hmm. Were you known as a scorer? I mean, you had to be scoring 20 points. Yeah, we, we played an offense where it was just two guards. So I ran the show as a point, but in the offense, there wasn't a point guard goes here to, you know, it was, yeah. a, it was a two guard front. Got it. Um, you know, but I quarterbacked on defense and all that, but yeah. Were you known as a defender? Uh, not in high school. Is that by choice? Um, defense has changed in yeah. basketball. De- defense has changed. The, the emphasis on it has changed a lot. Like you, you have guys now who make it to the NBA simply based on defense. Whereas the thought wasn't really there to do that in the past. And there wasn't as much pride taken on defense. Everything was about offense. But now, you know, you, you have kids who, who are getting scholarships to play defense. Hmm. You know, so there's a different focus on it now. And it wasn't that I didn't have the ability, it just wasn't a focus. Wasn't my focus. You know, I joke around and say people say, Man, you know, did you have a do you have a, a ton of assists in college? And I said, Man, my my scholarship didn't say anything about passing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and I read it twice. <laughs> That's great. I wasn't asked to do I didn't come here to do that. But it it's kind of a joke, but um, Sure. Yeah. So growing up, if you had not grown up in the projects, let's say you grew up in the suburbs, do you think you would have ended up playing basketball in college? That's the first time I've ever had that question. Oh. Um, I would have played some sport because in my family, you, you were going to play a sport. I mean, it's what we all did. Yeah. So I was going to play something. And I, you know, I look back on it, and I wish I would have played football. You never played? Um, so, again – Growing up in Beecher Terrace and going to Ballard, the um, the kids from from Beecher Terrace, if you chose football, you were encouraged to stay with football, even though the basketball coach was saying, "Man, hey, can, you know, come on out here." <laughs> and then if you chose basketball, the football coach was saying, "Hey, man, you know, come on out." But my four years, we had one guy that did it. But I again, I wish I would have chosen it, but I didn't because I was one fifty at the time. Right. So I, you know, I chose what was easiest, and you know, one fifty going up a guy as fast, weighing two twenty, it's not a fun experience. Yeah. yeah, but then when I got to college and fell in love with weights, it was like, man, I, you know, would you have been a quarterback, running back, or see- corner, corner? Oh, yeah, okay. corner. Okay. Well, you got the height for that. I mean, yeah. six foot's a good corner. Yeah, corner. I love the corner spot, man. Like, like Dion lockdown kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mono imano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On an island. Let's get it. Yeah. 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 Football's a fun sport. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So uh how did you choose VCU? How how many schools were looking at you? Okay. Um when it came down to it, <clears throat> I narrowed it down to I didn't you know, I didn't want a ton of schools out there and um so I narrowed it down to four. And two of them were almost one was a courtesy visit. I I didn't want to go to Tennessee State. Which actually is where Eddie George, Eddie George just took yeah. the job. Um, oh, he I did. Didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I didn't want to go there, but my bro- the coach at the time played ball with my brother in college, and so I took that visit. Um, VCU came in the picture at the end, um, kind of the second half of my senior year, and then I was really interested in um, Missouri, who was cru- recruiting me hard at the time, um, and then I liked Clemson. So those were the four, but I took the I took the Tennessee State visit, and then when I took the VCU visit, I canceled my other visits. Really? Yeah, I knew I wasn't gonna waste their time. I knew I was coming here. Why? Phil Stenny. 
Ah. Oh, Phil okay. Stinney took me out on my visit. Um, I wanted to play with him, wanted to, you know, be around him. I like the school. I like the city. I knew that I could not thrive and be and and do well in a school that was out in the woods. Like yeah. like Blacksburg or so, Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah, so all those schools were were off the list. I needed to be in a city school and um and VCU was that. And then the coach at the time, Mike Polio, coached one of my brothers in high school. Mm. So there was that kind of familiarity as well. So it was um I took my visit and I I knew I wanted to I knew I wanted to play here. Who was at Missouri back then? Norm Stewart. Yeah. yeah, and then was what was his uh, best player back in the late eighties? His name was uh, his nickname was Band Aid. Derek Chivas. Derek Chivas. Yeah. Band Aid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The they were they were good back then. Missouri was really good. They were very good. They were top five a couple yeah. different times. Yep. Derek, yeah. Derek Chivas. That's a great name. <laughs> so, so did you did you verbally commit and then sign? Is that how it worked back to then? VCU? Yeah. 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 Verbally committed and then signed. Yeah. And then so you know in that environment I grew up in. When it's when it's signing day, the media comes. Uh, Mike Polio comes. Tubby Smith, who was at VCU at the time before going to yeah, he was assistant coach for a long time. Yeah, Tulsa VCU. and yeah. Georgia and Kentucky and all that. So Tubby Smith, um, head coach Mike Polio, and the sports information director, a guy named Mike Ballwick. Mm. Well, when they pull up in my neighborhood, um, there you know there's kind of you know some media presence, but there's also a you know group of guys that probably didn't look welcoming and uh, not everybody wanted to get out of the car. (laughs) It was, you know, which was, you know, not everybody's comfortable in every environment, but Tubby Smith still talks about my mom's sweet potato pies. Mm. Nice. Um, But, you know, it's just kind of, you've got college coaches and college guys who are uncomfortable in an environment like that. You know, I've got to come out and say, man, come on in. These are my, He's my buddy. This is where I live. <laughs> These are my buddies. Yeah, they're coming from Richmond too. That's yeah. that's yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tubby was basically the primary recruiter yeah. for VCU for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you should uh, check out Rolando's episode. He talks about Tubby. Uh, I won't spoil it, but he tells a story about Tubby the night before Rolando had to commit. Oh wow! It's a pretty good story. Yeah. yeah. Tubby's Tubby's a good guy, man. You keep in touch with him? Mm-mm. Yeah. I, I talked to Tubby to congratulate him. I don't even remember what job it was, mm. but the first when I called him, the first thing he said was, "Man, how's your mom doing?" That sweet potato <laughs> pie, man. Well, his sweet potato pie was something. <laughs> that, so, is, yeah. that is great. So, uh, your freshman year, did you get playing time? You got some playing time your freshman year, right? My freshman year um, was a waste. Mm. It was a waste. I sat down behind a senior and a sophomore, and I played like like 18 minutes my whole freshman year. Ooh. I mean, it was something crazy. That's not even a half of one game. I really should have redshirted. Mm. Um, so, but the crazy part is, so I sat down pretty much that whole freshman year. Um, I got thrown into a game at Marquette. We, our starting point guard got in foul trouble. Um, it was a senior who, who was just better than me. You know, he was just better. The sophomore who, who was in front of me was just a much better defensive player and he was more confident. Um, but I, so the the starter gets in foul trouble, second guy, you know, he needs a break, and I get put in at Marquette in a tight game. And when I tell you I got my pocket picked twice, and it was, I mean, it was, it was one of those where you know that could, 
the the game is faster for a freshman coming for a kid coming from high school. It's faster at the point guard than it is a six ten kid. Right, right, right. You know his his game is still the same pace, but for a point guard, when you come to college, everybody's as fast. It's as another you. level. It's a it's another level, and I you know it was all the other games I I was you know I was prepared for that, but this this guy got me twice, and that could have um, that could have really wrecked it for me yeah um but i you know I, I kept myself together and my teammates you know phil was in my corner um and then i came back so that that year was the only year that i did not stay and go to summer school because i wanted to graduate in four years instead of the five they were giving me i wanted to do in four mm. so after my freshman year it's the only summer i went home that summer i worked a job night shift from 11 at night to seven in the morning cleaning up hotels so mm. I was vacuuming floors and mopping and dishes and all that I'd get off work at 7 a.m. and I'd get my ball and I'd go in our park and I'd train and then I'd be there until about 10 or 11 and then I'd go home eat take a break and then go to sleep earlier that night but I did it all summer and I started lifting weights yeah because I was not gonna come back and sit you know I had a sophomore in front of me he you know I wasn't gonna be a junior still sitting behind the same senior so when I came back as a sophomore I started and the guy who was a, then a junior, he sat. Did you think about quitting? I thought about transferring. Yeah. And the reason I thought about transferring was not because of playing time. That had nothing to do with it. Mm. Um, it was because the coach was so hard on me. And then Phil Stenny pulled me aside one day after practice, and I was telling him, like, man, I think I just need to leave. And Phil was like, listen, your problem isn't that coach is getting on you. Your problem would be if he wasn't. Mm. he's on you because he knows what's in you and you know I pushed through it and you know so I so I end up scoring like 960 points in my career but that was over three years <laughs> right. Right. my right. freshman year was away Nothing. so I learned um and it was I also went to college I, I should have now that everybody reclasses right that would have been the option for me or either the red shirt because physically I would have been a different kid plus I was younger so my son, who who is nine, I'm going to make sure he's on the path to where he goes to college at the right time. He's got an August birthday. Um, but just being careful of that. I mean, I, I had a wasted – I mean, I had a wasted freshman year. Yeah. I, I didn't – the practices were great and I learned, but in terms of playing time, I sat. Yeah, but, something happens between 18 and 20 physiologically, and if you're not prepared for it, yeah. yeah. But it made you go home and do what you did. Right. I mean, yeah. who knows if you had gotten more playing time, maybe you not maybe you got more and more comfortable. Yeah. It drove you to do what you did yeah. and obviously that worked out well. Yeah. Yeah, I knew I needed to be stronger. My game I wasn't worried about, but I knew it was my confidence and just being physically stronger. Um and I went home and you know, and then over the course of my four years I physically changed. You know, I hated weights at first and you know, all kids are man, it throws my shot off. Well it does because you shot right after you lift it. But if you consistently lift, your yeah. body gets used to it, you know. And so it is a weirder feeling lifting and then shooting right away than it is if you haven't lifted in several hours. Very weird. But you get used to it, as yeah. you said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think people put enough emphasis on confidence, though, in not just basketball, sports itself, but I mean, life, I, I, life itself, man. Life itself, right. You went and got that confidence. 
and went right up. I mean, it's it's huge. And and just in a game itself, if you're not confident in what you're doing, you're not going to succeed. So yeah, it's a it's a, it's a difference maker. You know, I try to I try to instill that in kids now because I wish I would have. The way I think now, I, man, I wish I would have. I wish that switch would have flipped years ago. You know, now I. I'm just in a different stratosphere mentally. Yeah. It's cool being there, right? <laughs> it is. I just don't, you know, and that's one of the reasons I love Spartan racing so much is because it's, you know, you've got the miles to do and you've got the obstacles. But then at some point, mentally, it, it the difference is going to be made mentally. And so that's where I just, I don't think there's anybody on my level with that. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Give us like the elevator speech on... What is a Spartan race? Well, give us a longer than the elevator speech. Yeah, know? okay. It's a uh, long ride on the elevator. So, <laughs> tall building. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's an obstacle course race, and there there, well, there's three different levels. There's a sprint, super, and a beast. And so, the sprint is roughly three and a half to five miles with twenty obstacles. And so the obstacles are like carrying things, monkey bar type things, spear throw, um, rope climb. Ropes are rough, man. I hate ropes. That was my Achilles heel when I first got in it. But you now you now know how to climb because there's it. a technique to it. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then there's a super, which is a little bit longer race and 25 obstacles. And then there's a beast, which is 13 to 17, 18 miles with 30 obstacles. There's another one, which... Wait, doing, wait, 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 hold on. Say that again. How many obstacles? 30? On a beast. On yeah, a beast. And then you're essentially running how far? Uh, 13 to 17 or 18. So I'm, I'm going to tell a quick story. I ran a half marathon one time. Slow as molasses, but I finished it. I was happy. And I was thinking, do I run this again? And I'm not making this up. A minute after I finished, a guy my age now, a guy our age, died at the finish line. I'm like, mm. I don't think I'm going to run another <laughs> half marathon. You're doing more than a half and you're doing 30 obstacles. Right, but then there's another level called the Ultra, which is 30 miles, 60 <laughs> obstacles that I'm doing June 5th. So it's my next race. Have you ever done one of those? No, man, not a. I've done the Beast. Yeah. Um, but I've not. I've not done an Ultra, so that's what I'm preparing for now. When is that? June 5th okay. in Ohio. How do you prepare for it though? I mean, because I mean, where are the obstacles? You know what I mean. So how do yeah. you? So so the obstacles for me are easy. So. But the, but the race itself caters to a runner because, and the running, you're never on level ground. You're yeah. always either in the woods, you're uphill, downhill, and mud, and dirt, and river, swim. You know, it's, you're, you're never just running. So it, it caters to the runner in that regardless of, of how dense the obstacles are over the course of that mileage, you still have the mileage. Yeah. So if you've got a guy who's super strong and great at obstacles, and then you've got a guy who is naturally a runner and 25 pounds lighter, yeah, that 30 miles is going to cater to the runner unless it's really wet or really cold and it muddies it up for the runner. Right. That makes That gives the stronger guy more time to grind and it makes it a tougher race. So you're doing a lot of training, running, and stuff like that right now to get – Tell us about the, the when you went. I think it was the nationals where you world had, championship. Yeah, tell us about that experience because that was a little harrowing. Yeah, that was that was interesting. So, um, so I got into Spartan racing. I had 
I had seen it on TV in like 2015, just flipping channels. I'd seen it and had zero interest in it. And then in 2018, um, Easter, we were we had a thing in our neighborhood and we were at some friend's house and they were doing a cookout and this girl had on a Spartan race shirt. And I said, you've done one of those? And she lives in our neighborhood and she said, I have. And she said, man, it was the toughest thing I've ever done. And when she said that, it was like, hmm, where'd you do one? And she started telling me about it. And that day I went home and looked it up. And I've always trained and tried to stay in my top level shape. So it was a matter of changing my training program. So I looked it up and I signed up for one in D.C., the D.C. Maryland race and went up there, competed, um, did great. And then just kind of um, as I'm walking to my car after my first race, this guy walks up behind me and he says, he says, man, you were you were awesome out there. Have you you've ever have you ever raced before? And I said, man, it's my first one. He was like, man, your first one. He said, How, how'd you do? I said, man, I loved it. He said, did you hit the spear throw? And I said, I did. I said, I went, I was 23 for 23 on the obstacles. He said, this is your first race. And you went 23 for 23 on the obstacles. And I was like, yeah. He said, and this, this was June of 2018. He said, you think you'll ever, you'll ever do another one? And I said, I think I'd like to be in the world championship in 20. After your first one. <laughs> but I ended up in the world championship in, in 19. <laughs> so, it, so, the, so the following year, um, and that was a real cool experience because in order to, so you first had to qualify to get to the North American championship, which is in West Virginia. And so it's the best from the U S Canada and Mexico. So you have to qualify there to go to the world championship. Well, that was my first beast. West Virginia was. And, and the mountains are no joke there. Of all the Spartan races, West Virginia is highly touted as one of the top three worst to run. Yeah. Because of the the elevation. Like, I trained in an elevation mass to simulate that prior. Um, but I had gotten hurt, like, six weeks out. And that, so I missed all my running. So it was just a matter of – so I knew I was going to just try to finish it because I hadn't done a beast yet. But also mentally thinking, you know, mentally I'm, I'm going to push through it. And so – Long story short, I go to West Virginia. It's my first beast. It was the hardest thing I've ever done by a long shot. But I qualified, mm -hmm. which put me in the world championship. The world championship was, um, I mean, it was it was a really cool experience because, um, you know, there have been times in my life where I've been in situations where I sit and I'm that kid from Beecher Terrace thinking to myself, man, I'm, you know, a kid from Beecher Terrace, youngest of 12 is standing with the best 250 athletes in his group in the world representing the, you know, representing the never United States. You could have never imagined, right? And, I, and I've had a hundred of those experiences where I just said, man, God is amazing. You know, he, he has put me here. So, um, so I ran that race and that, so cool story about that. The world championship, when they run it, it's, it's, it's a one day event. So it's the best from around the world. They bring them in and it's typically typically run on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, they open it up to people who have come who want to run that course. They're not competing for a world championship. They just want to do the beast on that course. And it was Olympic Valley, which is Tahoe, Cali uh, Tahoe which is Lake, Lake Tahoe in California. Yeah. So this year they changed it. And instead of Saturday with the competitors and Sunday with the open group, they switched it. And on Saturday it was 54 degrees. 
Saturday night, a cold front comes in and it's 28 the next morning and they were con- and snow on the mountains and they were considering canceling it. Mm. And so they decided to move forward. Um, and so of 250 people that took off, 120 finished. Yeah, I bet. Um, and I um, had a, had an injury, a pretty serious injury, but I also went into hypothermia. You know, you're in and out of water. Gear is everything in a Spartan race. And the first three and a half miles was uphill. Yeah. You know, there were guys that didn't get finish that. Um, but I had a I had a scene in it, and I think about this often. That was like no other scene I've ever experienced in sports. And it was the obstacle that I got hurt on. Um, but in the world championship, they, they kind of turned the volume up on all the obstacles. So if, if in a regular Spartan race, you're carrying a log that's 50 pounds in the world championship, there would be two. Or if the log carry, or if the sandbag carry is a half mile in the world championship, it might be two miles. The <laughs> swim might be longer. You know, they just, they, they turn them up to what's called beast mode. So the obstacle that I got hurt on, um, you know, I've seen, you see all these war movies and um, you see movies like Gladiator and uh, 300 and stuff like that. Um, but there was a scene in, um, in the Spartan race and it was the double sandbag carry. So you have two sand, you can carry them in your hands. The easiest way is to put one, one on each shoulder or, you know. So, but you, you're going downhill down this embankment and on the side, it's wide enough for probably a car to drive down, but it would drive down and then it could loop around and drive back up. So from where I'm carrying these sandbags, you know, I can kind of look over to my sides and I see where I've got to take it and then back up over here. So I can also look down here, but look right there. They're going up to the finish line, right? So it, it was super cold and, and that was probably of a 17 mile race that was probably eight miles into it um and so you so the scene i'm going to set the scene up for you so the scene is you know you have you have these guys carrying these or and some girls ladies too carrying these sandbags and the it's snowing lightly it's overcast so there's you know the flurries coming down and i felt like i was in a scene from the movie gladiator because there was no it was like Nothing was audible. I could only see people's faces. Nobody's talking. But I knew that everybody there was going through the toughest experience they've ever been through in their lives because the look was on all of our faces. You know, guys would put their bags down and just kind of lean down or sit down. Um, And so I went all the way down. And coming back up was where I popped my calf. And so it was, I mean, it was, it was downhill from there, but that scene, I'll, you know, I'll never, it, it, I felt like I was among dead men, if that makes sense, because there was no life on anybody's face because we just, we just needed to get those bags back up that hill just to even continue the race. Yeah. And no sound. And the, and the flurry, the flur- yeah. I mean, I've got it in my it head was, It was, it was, I'll <laughs> never forget that. And I've, I've seen guys who. I've seen in other races who are just elite athletes. And I remember seeing a few of those guys there that, you know, we, we were, we were in deep, man. It was, and it was after the water, um, 
after one of the obstacles called the ape hanger where, you know, you had a 99% chance of getting wet, you know, so you, and then the swim, it's 28 degrees and there's a swim. It was, it was different, man. Well, didn't, you, didn't you say the doctor told you you probably should uh <laughs> Yeah, so, so from where my well, so injury. you kept going. Well, I wanted to. From where my injury happened was at the start of the decline of the first mountain. So I could see the second mountain. But I would need to get there and get down the other side. And the, the um, you know, they have volunteers and medics and all that, up, you know, everywhere on the course. And there was a girl from Russia who was um, kneeling beside me and kind of had her hands like this. And she's shivering. And so when the doctor comes over and, you know, he sees that I'm hurt and I can't, can't walk. And so I'm looking like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I, I can make it over there if, if I limp. But every time I try to walk off, you know, that pain hits that says, man, shut it down. And so as I'm standing there, the guy comes over and he says, man, listen, your, your calf, you know, I, I can tell you're hurt, but that's not your major problem. He said, you don't know it, but you're already in stage one of hypothermia. Mm. Then he goes, She's in stage two, where, where you don't know where you are. He said she's in stage oh two, and God. you're you're gonna be in that before you get there. He in said, stage four, you die, right? Yeah. He said, yeah, you're not gonna make it, man. And so it's just, and 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 that haunts me so bad that I don't have that world championship medal. This year's world championship is in Dubai. You going? I will probably not make that trip. I don't, I'm not gonna go that far. It's too much time away from my family. It's not, but but I will. I will get that world championship medal. I I will get that. You know, I'm going to you know, I'm going to be in uh elite shape and and ready and I'm going to qualify every year until they bring it close enough. Yeah. I'm going to go get it. Uh it's all ages too, right? There's no age brackets. Well, there's two there's two different ways you can run it. Well, it's three different ways you can run it. And follow me on this. You can go as John Doe and just sign up. And nobody, you, nobody cares how old you are. Nothing. Nobody cares. And it, it's you still run the same course and it's still as tough as it is for anybody else but you're just saying hey I just want to go do it that's open right okay then there is um, by age group you can compete by age group which is going to be a lot smaller group and a lot faster group than the open but then there's elite which you have to qualify for it used to be that you could just sign up and sign up for a race and then check elite and then you're racing with the fastest guys in the world well, you have to now. You have to qualify for that, which makes more sense because what you don't want is John Doe holding up Robert Killian, who's a two-time world champion, because he's struggling on the monkey bars and he needs to go next. Right. So you alleviate all that. So I race age group, but I've also qualified for elite. So this year I'll do eleven races, and some of those will be elite, which means you know there's guys twenty-five, thirty years old who you know who, who are going to be in the in the block with me. How old are you now? I'll be 53 next month. You're older than I am. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll be 53 next month. Wow. Yeah. And you're doing all that craziness at 52. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And, and you just, uh, it sparked from seeing somebody with a t-shirt on. Yeah, I was flipping channels and saw it on TV. I saw her with a t-shirt and I asked her and she said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I said, man, I okay, I need to, I want to hear more about that. You're going to keep doing it, you think? Yeah, I don't see me stopping because it it allows me um it's hard to explain kind of the feeling I get from Spartan racing and it just hit me this time this past weekend because I haven't raced nobody's raced in 17 months. Right. Because 
2020 season was canceled and it was canceled. The 2020 season was canceled and there had only been like two races, like Jacksonville and one other. So that entire season was canceled. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't see me ever not loving everything that it, it allows me. And one of the things that I realized this weekend was there's a, there's a, there's an anxiety and a fear that I have when I'm about to start because I could fail. You know, I could, I could, there are a lot of things that could happen. There are a lot of guys in this block that are, you know, are faster or stronger. Um, but you know, who, who, who's not going to quit? You know, I threw up this weekend twice you, you know, but you, you keep moving forward because you want that time to be, to be, uh, you know, you want to do better times. You want to compete. How, how many hours a day do you work out? Um, in a good day. So I, every morning I'm up, up at 345, every morning, regardless of what time I go to bed, every morning up at 345, I'm at the front door of the gym waiting for them to open at 458. Mm. They open, I'm in on the bike and I train in a long session. I might train from five to six twenty. That's it. But that's usually weights. And then during the day and on the weekend, I do my running or my trail and that kind of thing. Yeah, and you're doing obstacle work too. Yeah. So the obstacle work, um, it just kind of comes easy to me. Um, so there, in, a, in a sprint, there's twenty. There's twenty obstacles now. It used to be twenty three. Most of my races, I go. 23 for 23 but the rope early in my spartan thing um was just kind of an achilles heel because when i in my first race i didn't learn the s hook or the j hook with your feet until you it's hard but until you learn one of those two hooks it is so i used to just go grab the rope and just pull up hit the bell and slide back down but then as the races got longer it's, it was harder for me to do that after running eight miles to pull up 195 pounds, 25 feet, hit that bell and come back down. Or if the rope was wet, there was no chance. Yeah. So the penalty for every obstacle you miss in, in the, in my age group and the, in the age groups and the elite is 30 burpees. <laughs> so when you miss an obstacle, you take your headband off and you put it in front of the camera put it back on and you go in the burpee pit and you do 30. Well, most people cannot walk over and just do 30 burpees. Even the best guys might go over and do 15, take a few minutes and then do 15. I'll go over and do 10, take a second, 10, take a second, 10 and take a second. So here's where it helps me out. If I go flawless on the obstacles, let's say a guy this past weekend missed two. Well, he had to do burpees and there was a guy who, 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 he and I competed almost the entire race and two obstacles from the end, he missed the spear throw. Mm. So he's four or five minutes behind me, yet he was with me the whole race. Yeah. Wow. So because he's got thirty burpees. So if you miss five obstacles in a beast, that's a long day. That's a lot of burpees. <laughs> that's a hundred and fifty burpees. That's a lot of burpees. <laughs> that's a lot. So where I excel is on all of the obstacle stuff. So I, I keep my weight training up and you know, there, there's a there's an atlas stone that weighs about, let's say it's 120 pounds, and it's a it, it's like a basketball, it's but perfectly it's perfectly round, right? Perfectly round. It's about this big, weighs 120 pounds. Well, the the same guy who was competing with me, he was a better runner, 
So he got there first. You have to pick it up, take it down around a flag, bring it back, drop it, and then take off. Well, he was halfway down when I came around the corner to pick mine up. Stone weighs 120. He's 155. Mm. I'm 195. I pick it up, go down, drop it off before he either ever even heads back. But he's a better runner. Yeah. So when I get back out there on the trail, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes later, I hear him. I hear him again. You know, and he catches up, and we're, you know, we're stride for stride. He might take off a little bit, but I, he's gonna miss obstacles, and I'm not. Spear throws. How far are you throwing the spear? Man, crazy scene this past weekend. So the spear throw is usually about. Uh, 15, 20 yards, and it's got a stick in the target. And so if that spear is wet or if, if you don't get the right feel for it um, or if you throw it, it sticks and the shaft of it hits the ground. And you get one shot. You get one shot. <laughs> or here's the other thing. When you come up to the spear obstacle, so you're running through the woods and you come up over a hill and you see a half mile out is the spear throw. You're jogging to it. Let's say it's raining. Well, that spear is going to be wet. Your hands are going to be wet. Your clothes are going to be wet. There's no dry patch of grass to wipe that on. So your hands are going to be wet. So you have to compensate for that. Plus the rain. Plus there might be a little bit of wind. Because missing this spear throw could be the difference. But in Virginia, it was the difference between. So I finished fourth in Virginia in 2019. And the difference between fourth and like eighth was the guy who missed the spear throw. Oh. He missed it. But this past Saturday, um, you know, I come up to the spear throw and let's say the guy before me, he throws it. If he makes it, then the spear is still stuck in that target out there. So you have to pull the string to pull it back. And when I pick it up to throw it, I need to grab that string because what if I'm standing on it? Yeah. And I throw That's it and it throw. hits the ground. I'm 30 burpees. So I walked up to it this, this past Saturday and it was a little damp and guys were standing and there were no spears in the, because most people were missing the spear throw. And so, you know, when I say gear is everything, the, by the way, the pictures just came out today. The official pictures either come out Tuesday or Thursday. They came out today. Um, and the shirt that I wore saved me on the spear throw. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Um, when I got to the spear throw, you know, I was, I was wet, everybody's wet. And on the corner of my shirt, it was dry. And so when I picked the spear up, I wiped the spear off right there. And then I wiped my hand off on that spot and I grabbed the spear right there. And it felt good. It felt great. I knew it was on. And so, you know, I lined it up. You always rock it. And I've got the rest of the string. I'm lining it up and I threw it. And when it stuck, I went, ah. <laughs> it felt great, man. It felt great. And then so on the pictures today, um, on my shirt, there's that dirt spot right there on that dry spot. And I, I tell people gear is everything in a Spartan race. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the spear throw, I mean, I've, I've, in, in 12, 11 or 12 races, I think I've missed it. Oh, I missed it twice. And one was in Asheville, North Carolina when it was wet and everybody was missing that, but it slipped out of my hand. I mean, imagine that. You know, it you throw it, and as soon as as soon as it leaves your hand, you realize it slipped, and so you you've you've got that penalty so session, man. Are burpees a part of your training regimen, or do you do you don't do them because you don't want to jinx it? <laughs> that is a great question. And up until this year, January first, 
never did I do burpees. Never. Because my thought was, I'm never going to do them in a race, so I'm not going to train with them. I don't. I hate them. But I realized um, how good burpees are for your cardio, for just kind of the plyometric type flow to your workout. So I started adding them between weight reps to keep my heart rate way up. So I'll do a flat bench set and then come over and do um, eight burpees and then superset another exercise, do crunches, flat bench, back to a set of eight, eight uh, burpees. So I've added them to where if, you know, if I did miss an obstacle, I feel like I'd be better at them now because I actually do them versus, you know, burpees are a bad word in Spartan, in Spartan language. It's a bad word. Yeah, if you miss five or six Obstacle. Your whole day is different. I'm not yeah. sure it's a good word anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you jinx yourself by doing the burpees and working out? No. no not yet. No. I, haven't, I, I was <laughs> 20 for 20. <laughs> 20 for 20. Kevin, I've been talking a lot. You want to take the next topic? Um, yeah. So, Lionel and I have got to uh, be around basketball quite a bit in the last couple of years. And, and, and this is not a serious question, so I apologize. <laughs> but I've never seen Lionel wear the same pair of tennis shoes. <laughs> so I'm serious. You got a shoe thing? Yeah. I've gotten better. I've gotten much better about it though. Are they always tennis shoes, basketball shoes kind of thing, or is it all kinds of shoes? It's all kind of um Yeah, even dress shoes. I just like a you know. Um Do you literally not wear them again? No, I do. <laughs> I do. I, I, I definitely wear them Because again. I'm seeing this guy twice a week, <laughs> sometimes three times, and he's never wearing this. And they're always sweet shoes, too, because I like shoes, too. I've had shoes, man, where I go back and I pull out a pair like, man, I forgot I even had these, and they're dry-rotted, mm. which means I haven't had them on in like two and a half years. <laughs> it's crazy. How many pairs of shoes do you have in your house? Now? Uh-huh. Tennis shoes? Um I'm going to guess I've cut it way down, man. I'm probably 30, maybe. Pair okay. Of what? I've cut it way back. Yeah. Oh, my, 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 um, my brother-in-law and a buddy of his came to visit us one time in Cleveland and I sent them home with, and they happened to wear the same size with like 10 pair of shoes a piece, just trimming it down. And I've done that a lot lately at the height though, when you had the most shoes, how many pairs did you have? Um, 50 maybe okay yeah that's not come on you kevin was implying 365 well <laughs> no. how could i not imply that? <laughs> yeah. uh, now are the boys into shoes too and let's talk about the boys yeah the boys are uh you know they're they're into sports man i'm i'm incredibly blessed with three kids who uh you know they're they're good guys and they're 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 advanced in sports man they're um but i and i never you know, we never talk about like the results. You know, if we, uh, you know, Landon had a huge game. Um, you know, if he has a huge game in baseball or a huge game in basketball, then after the game, my topic with him is how is about all of the work that led to that. Not you know, hey, tonight you had twenty five, and but you know, imagine what we could do, man, if we just keep working. You know, so you're teaching them to grind. Absolutely, yeah. and they're they're they've bought it. What are their names and ages? So, uh, Landon is nine, Layton is six, and Logan is four. So you like L? You like they're them. all they're all LJB. Okay, 
So my first son, you know, his name is Landon, and I gave him my middle name, so it's Landon James Bacon. Then we had another boy named him Layton, and my mom's first name was Jesse, so named him Layton Jesse. And then the third, you know, we had found out we were pregnant again, and we're at the ultrasound, and I'm talking to my oldest son at the time, Landon, who was who was five, and my other son who was two at the time, and I'm talking to them, and we're talking about names, and I'm like. You know, it can't be Lionel, Landon, Layton, and Steve. Like, like, what's he feel like as an adult? Steve, Steve so, feels like an outcast, right? And so Landon, Landon says, uh, we, we were actually talking about this about a week ago, and Landon said, Dad, you also said we couldn't name him Dusty Cropphopper. It's like, you're right, man. It just, Lionel, Landon, Layton, and Dusty Cropphopper. So, so it was a given that it had to be an LJB, so we named him Logan. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. At least you didn't do the George Foreman thing where he named all of his Oh, it's George. George. Yeah, no. No, no. That's good stuff. So how long have you lived in Richmond? Uh, So I came to Richmond in 86 and played ball, but then um, went to school, went to grad school, and then right out of graduate school in 94, I started working for the YMCA. Okay. And so I worked 20 years for the Y in four different cities. But I came back in 20. 14. So from 2014 to 2017, I worked in the athletic department at VCU. And, and you had reached out to them or they reached out to you? Uh, it was a combination of both. I was in Chesapeake and was starting to think about doing something different. And part of my role with the Y was fundraising. Mm. And I really liked it. And I liked it because it was my way of being a voice for kids like me that I grew up with. I could raise money to support youth programs, whatever that looked like. Um, and so, you know, with the why you're raising money, you're building boards, you're running programs, you're balancing budgets, you know, you're doing all that. But with fundraising, you're just sitting down talking to people. Um, and I always describe, you know, people say, well, what do you do? You know, what, what, what do you do? I said, well, the, the fancy name is I'm vice president of philanthropy. But what I really do is I'm a translator. I'm an interpreter. Hmm. And I, I explain it by saying that the best interpreters are those who have been submersed in the language you know so if if you spoke french i spoke english and french you spoke german and i spoke english and german and french the two of you can't talk unless i stand in the middle and tell you what he's saying and tell you what he's saying right so i stand in the middle because i grew up on that side of the kids in the need but i've been blessed to the point where um, you know, I now I can function on both sides. You've been in both worlds, yeah. I've been both worlds, so um, I stand in the middle and articulate the needs and get people to join me as a donor. Nice, yeah. And you enjoy doing it too, which which matters. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, you know, the organization I'm with now is different than the organization known as the Y. The Y is an amazing organization. Been around for probably coming up on 200 years now and VHBG Virginia Home for Boys and Girls we're in our 175th year this year oh, wow. um, but raising money for the why I was raising money to help a, a single mom put three kids in programs you know two in swim lessons one in basketball and then the family to get a membership whereas now I'm raising money to uh, to, to to provide a home for three kids who've been abused sexually, socially, mentally, neglected, all of the above by 
mom's boyfriend yeah. or, or, or uncle. Um, so I'm, and they don't even have a place to live, you know, so I'm, I'm providing, uh, so it's easy for me to sit down and talk to people about that. You know, a lot of people say, man, I, you know, I just can't, I can't ask for money. I can't either, but I can ask if I'm asking on behalf of kids like me right. gladly. Yeah. I can do that. So are, are you paid by the Virginia home for boys? And absolutely. Girls? Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, it's a paid job yep. now, but yep. you are absolutely in love with uh, how you make money. I do. Yeah, I am. I love what I do. That's awesome. We that would be is. remiss if we didn't talk about your, your wife. Yep. My wife is, uh, she's amazing. She, her and I met, um, actually at the Y, but it, we met at a Y that I didn't work at. I was working out there and she was working out there and I used to see her in the mornings and started talking to her one day. There it is. There one it is. thing led to another. Yeah. The LJB. You got three, three LJBs <laughs> right. later. Yeah. 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 Three boys. That's very cool. Well, so uh, the last three we've done, Kevin, uh, Kevin is co-host. Kevin gets to ask the last question. Well, my last question was going to be about the shoes. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but no, no, I've got tons of questions I can ask Lionel. So Kevin likes to give five parters for his last <laughs> question. So let's, let's, let's do a little game. All right. Um, Jimmy Fallon is, is out tonight. All right. And, and you, are the the host right. you can have a male guest a female guest and a music group and you can you can set this up how however you want they can be I famous get, not famous whatever. yep dead or alive you want to get ratings you just want to talk to somebody that you that you idolize or loved or whatever or want to learn from them yeah it's a deep question kevin it's not it's not really that deep i don't think Lionel's giving some real thought to but it. Lionel, well, I'm only thinker. I'm only trying to figure out who the female guest and the music guest are. The guy I've got that that's gonna be that's gonna get ratings. That everybody in the world's gonna tune into that one. Uh, let me let me see the girl, the lady. <laughs> and while Lionel's thinking, I'll uh, add that uh, my good friend Rob Dole is here tonight, taking notes. He he loves the podcast, and uh, he's thinking about writing a little book about the guests that have come on the podcast. He's been writing feverishly the entire time. I love it. Okay. Um, I'll start with the, uh, the female. I'd probably, I'd probably have Serena Williams on. Um, you know, the other, the other, the first person that came to mind was Kamala Harris. But nowadays, this world has fallen apart uh, with uh, some of the ridiculous loyalty to political parties over people. It's entirely divisive. It's yeah. it's worse. the 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 loyalty to blue or red is worse than Crips and Bloods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right and wrong goes out the window when politics comes in. So I would love to. Whether she was a Democrat or Republican, I think it'd be cool to have the first, yeah, or to have a vice president, you know, black uh, female vice president on. So any, anyway, I think I think that would be great. Or my own minority vice president, um, vice president. Um, the music group. That's a tough one because musically, I travel in a lot of different lanes, and so I'd pop. I'd probably pick a group that. Um, the majority of people could identify with and I I'm at a loss of who um you know I, I'd probably have Bob Marley and the Whalers mm. just to yeah for everybody that'd be awesome but the guy that I would have that I think would have amazing ratings 
and you said dead or alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people would tune in to see a guy who's who's 52 years old and who's never seen a picture of his dad sit down and actually talk with his dad. Oh, man. And yeah. just to see what he looks like. And, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've heard things about my dad from my mom and I've recently realized that I didn't ask my mom enough questions about my dad before he before he um, passed because my dad is not the dad of the first 10 kids my mom had. My dad is my sister and my and my my dad. Right. Um so so a couple of one of my older sisters and one of my older brothers have told me some, you know, they said your dad we've never we we never saw him in tennis shoes. My older sister said I never heard him speak. Um, he was always dressed to a T, smoked cigars. Um, so th- those are kind of some of the, you know, and he was a good man. My mom always told me how much of a good man my dad was. But the irony is, um, not the irony, but um, all of the stories that I heard about my dad were from family members and they were just little bits and pieces. But three years ago, my niece ran into a guy, um, she was doing some volunteer work and a guy's looking at her and he said, he goes, who's your mom? And she said, well, my mom is Heidi Bacon. And he goes, uh, who's her mom? And she goes, her mom was Jesse Bacon. Well, who's her dad? And she said, well, my mom's, my grandfather was Sam Vines. And he said, your grandfather was Sam Vines? Like Sam Vines from the East End? And she was like, yeah. And so, she said, you knew him? And he said, yeah, I knew I knew Sam well. So my niece went home and told my sister that. And my sister told me that. And I I went to Louisville. <laughs> I wanted to talk to a guy who, um, you know, uh, could tell me something about my dad. I knew I knew he was murdered and I knew some of the some of the details, but you know, it was so so long ago and kind of stories from my mom but so so long story short um we go to this guy's office and my sister and I sit down and he's just looking at me and uh he said so you're Sam Vine's son I said I am and he, he's an older black guy I said I am and he's just kind of looking at me like mm. and I said my sister and my niece told me you knew you knew my dad and he said, yeah. And he just paused. He didn't say anything. And so I kind of felt like he was choosing his words carefully and his, you know, how much do I tell this guy about his dad? Yeah. You know? And I said, well, listen, let me tell you who I am. And I said, uh, that, that might help. I said, you know, I'm Lionel Bacon. I'm 50 years old. I have three sons. I've never seen a picture of my dad. I don't know much about Sam Vines. I only know about what my mom told me, but I grew up in Beecher Terrace, uh, went to Ballard, played basketball, went to VCU, earned a scholarship there, graduated in four years, got my master's degree. I'm now vice, you know, I went through all that. And he uh, he looked at me and he said, Sam will be proud of you. Oh man. And that, you know, that was powerful for me because you know, it was cool to hear. You know, it was almost like my dad saying he was proud of me. Yeah. So, um, 
But then he went on to tell me, he said, you know, he said, it, it, you know, he told me some things that he said, your, your dad was a good guy. And he said, your, your dad was getting money from black guys and white guys. He said, and he was the only guy in the city that the, that the white guys dealt with. Um, and I said, you know, what do you, what do you know about his murder? And he said, well, you know, I, he said, he, he said, your dad was murdered when the state sent me on my vacation. Mm. And he said, uh, you know, he said, but your dad was a good guy. And he said, there's, you know, and he told me the names. He said, I always heard that they were, they were involved in that and they did that. And one of them's deceased and the other, you know, but anyway, um, but he just had he just had good things to say about my dad, and they kind of fell in line. I think there were some things that he didn't tell me that I'm old enough to figure out. Um, but you know, my dad was a good guy, and that you know, I have to just I just have to tell my kids that you know. Yeah, that's uh, it's a powerful visit to Louisville. Yeah, yeah. But you're right about people wanting to watch that him coming through those curtains. Yeah, you get to see him. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I I show my sons pictures of my mom. You know, because they know that their mom has a dad and mom. They have grandparents on their mom's side, but they don't have a grandfather or grandmother on their dad's side. So, you know, I can show them pictures of my mom and I'm always telling them about her. And, you know, I, they all know her nickname and all, you know, they know a lot about their family because they're growing up, they're growing up away from them. Like my oldest son can name all my siblings and he's nine. You know, he, he knows all the ones he met. Um, but I just don't have anything to, and the gentleman that told me about about my dad, I said, listen, if you could find a picture, it would be amazing. And, you know, my dad had another son um, who was murdered. And I remember, I remember when he was murdered and I have a picture of him and he looks like me. And my mom always told me I look like my dad. So, you know, I, I just kind of have to piece it together, but you know, I just I've always heard just how good of a man he was, you know. Yeah, that's a uh, a good place to end it. I think. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, incredible story. You've thank got an you. awesome story, man. I'm glad you could tell it with his, us here tonight. I'm glad Kevin was here and Kevin connected us. Yeah, and yeah. Can't, can't wait for uh, us to put it out there for folks to check out. I appreciate the time, man. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come and just share. <laughs> If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.